Okay, thanks very much, Dan. Okay, um, well, let's begin, um, I suppose, with uh, what we've begun with for an awful long time now, with very, very few exceptions, and of course that's COVID-19. Um, I suppose it has a bright side. This is meant to be tongue-in-cheek, by the way, uh, with uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil going down with it after sort of flaunting himself in public, not wearing a mask and uh, hugging people and uh, not maintaining social uh, distance and comparing COVID-19 with um, the flu. Uh, he's gone down with it. Um, and it is interesting, isn't it, that in certain parts of the world, um, a sort of a COVID uh, um, or an anti-COVID toughness uh, ideology has uh, uh, developed um, almost overwhelmingly from what I can see associated with the right who either deny uh, that, 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 that this uh, virus has a any significant um, health uh, implications or somehow that the economy uh, is more important and uh, more people will die if the economy is uh, allowed to close down uh, than if they got it. And we've had phrases like herd immunity, which of course have uh, a sort of valid scientific basis. The problem is that to achieve herd immunity, I can't remember, remember my figures, but isn't it something like 60% with COVID-19 and precisely the problem is is that uh, if you don't go for lockdown if you don't put any restrictions on on people uh, then what happens is that the health services uh, get overwhelmed and people uh, die um, who didn't need to uh, uh, die and on a large scale uh, at that uh, so, yes, in Brazil, we now have not only the uh, the president uh, going down with it, but um, on my league table, uh, Brazil stands at number two. Um, often uh, league tables go from the top, uh, which is meant to be the best, to the bottom, uh, which is meant to be the worst. But I think in, 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 in these circumstances, I would actually rather rate... Uh, Brazil is number two. You can guess uh, who's number one, uh, and that's the United States. Now, we need to be careful uh, with such league tables because they don't tell uh, the whole story because the United States has a very sizable uh, population, over, you know, 300 million. Uh, ditto Brazil. Um, I can't tell you what Brazil's population was, but when I was young, I guess it was about 150 million. Uh, it could be well, well over that. It could be well over 200 million now. I don't know. Either way, the point would be that although the United States is at the top of the league table and Brazil uh, uh, is number two, the reality is that when you take uh, populations uh, into account. In other words, when you start to talk about the death rate uh, as opposed to the number of fatalities, it's actually Britain uh, that stands near the top. Uh, depending on which league table you read, uh, Belgium, for some particular reason, maybe to do with how they record uh, uh, deaths, um, maybe 
because of the nature of Belgian society, I don't know. But uh, uh, consistently, uh, the United Kingdom uh, comes uh, um, towards the very top when it comes to total uh, death rates. And uh, initially, uh, when I looked at this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, I have to say that I did pick out uh, the Chinese regime and say that it was particularly guilty. Um, now you can um, talk about wet markets and uh, all the rest of it and a delay if, if whoever it is could uh, mute themselves choose uh, and the delay um, in um, uh, actually admitting uh, uh, the outbreak of this um, uh, pandemic as it became nonetheless if you want to pick out three uh, particular countries um, who do have resources who are not desperately poor you'd have to say it's Britain, the United States uh, and Brazil, certainly because uh, the regimes there have poo-pooed uh, the seriousness uh, of this pandemic, uh, almost to the point of denial. So in the United States, if you uh, look at the latest news bulletins, you'll see a picture uh, of Donald Trump for the first time uh, wearing a face mask. Uh, and of course, if you look at his political rallies, uh, no distancing uh, between people, and very, very, very few uh, of them uh, actually wearing uh, face masks. So, if we're talking about sharing competence and disregard for life, uh, yes, I would pick out, uh, in particular, uh, this Tory regime uh, with Boris Johnson um, as Prime Minister, and in terms of, of those that have actually done very well, as I understand it, uh, i.e. those at the bottom of my uh, league table, there stands New Zealand. Uh, but you can also talk about other countries such as Germany, South Korea, Vietnam, far from being uh, a rich uh, country. Australia uh, also uh, um, is down uh, uh, way towards the bottom and of course China uh, and uh, given the, the size of the Chinese population uh, again I'm not quite sure what it is but I know it's well over uh, a billion maybe 1.3 maybe 1.4 billion people uh, and the fact that the, this uh, disease broke out uh, in China you have to say that they've done remarkably well in containing uh, this virus and suppressing it. Of course, you're bound to get returns. Uh, you, you can't be 100% safe. Um, you know, if you're 100% safe, uh, you're dead. Um, so there's no such thing as 100% safety. But having suppressed uh, uh, this virus, uh, China at the present time uh, is basically imposing local lockdowns, not national uh, uh, lockdowns in in the majority of the country in the vast majority of the country you know ordinary life continues um so yes uh what's the answer what's the lesson here um lockdown early suppress uh, uh the disease that's that's the fundamental uh lesson which doesn't guarantee you no deaths doesn't uh, guarantee you anything but it does actually suppress uh, uh, the spread um, uh, of this disease until we get a vaccine, a vaccine, if we get a vaccine. Okay. Um, 
In terms of Britain, it has to be said, um, anyone who's ventured outside, gone to work, got on the bus, got on the tube in London, um, while some people are wearing masks, it's compulsory um, um, on uh, London transport, it has to be said that in terms of the majority of the population, this is a purely um, subjective observation, uh, are increasingly not observing any sort of social uh, distancing, uh, aren't wearing uh, face masks, and quite frankly, if you ask me, what is the government's message uh, for next week? Uh, I couldn't, for the life of you, uh, give you a sensible uh, uh, answer. Meanwhile, um, really standing as a warning uh, that we ain't over it, uh, if you take the World Health Organization, uh, they've reported that over the last six weeks, uh, the number of cases globally uh, has doubled. Uh, again, you can look at the news in terms of South Africa, Israel, uh, again, which have done extraordinarily well. Um, and uh, what you see is local clampdowns or uh, national restrictions being re-imposed. Uh, and it, it's certainly quite conceivable uh, that that will happen uh, in terms of Britain um, uh, in the winter. We don't know enough about this uh, virus yet. We don't know whether it's like the flu uh, and it comes and it goes and you develop partial immunity. We don't know to what extent um, it's actually mutating. Of course it is mutating, uh, but we don't know to what extent it's mutating uh, and whether whether it mutates, uh, it also then, um, um, how should I put it, makes any uh, immunity that you might have had from a, a first dose of it uh, null and void. Uh, we don't know enough about it yet. Um, so it's quite conceivable uh, that uh, we could have another serious outbreak as opposed to a local outbreak um, uh, in winter. Um, and indeed, some scientists have speculated about the possibility uh, that COVID-19 becomes like uh, seasonal uh, flu, uh, just something that we have to learn uh, to accept. Let's keep our fingers crossed uh, that that isn't uh, the case and that uh, we actually are able to develop a, um, a vaccine against this uh, uh, very nasty uh, disease. Meanwhile, in Iran, um, we've had some mysterious uh, explosions. Um, I think the first time I read about this must have been about two weeks ago, and quite frankly, I just shrugged my shoulders and went, okay, so in some particular plant um, near Tehran, there was an explosion. So what? Uh, but what's happened since then um, is that one explosion has followed another explosion, has followed another uh, explosion. And um, where these explosions are happening um, has a particular significance. So uh, um, a plant that stores uh, missiles, uh, a nuclear uh, plant that is associated, um, at least in the American mind, uh, with nuclear weapons. In our view, um, Iran has a a nuclear program, of course, uh, that's open, uh, um, that is something uh, that is inspected. Uh, but we don't think at the present time that it actually has a program uh, putting a nuclear warhead on top of a missile, 
what it has a program of is being near that capability, right? That, that's, that's how we've um, uh, analysed it. Anyway, um, latest news, um, an explosion in Nantes. This is the nuclear uh, facility. Uh, other explosions, excuse my um, farsi, at Gamdarar and Shra Air Quads. Um, totally hopeless pronunciation, I hasten to add. But what's significant about it is not just where it's happening, it's this war of words or non-words uh, between um, unofficial but well-informed Israeli sources and uh, the Iranian government. The Iranian government has turned around and said uh, 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 nothing's happened, um, even to the point uh, of where it's actually denied that there's been any sort of uh, explosion. Uh, meanwhile, in Israel, you've got press reports uh, um, with journalists saying that they've been reliably informed that this was either the result of F-15, or is it, yeah, I think it's F-15 fighter bombers uh, attacking um, Iranian targets, or the result of uh, cyber warfare. Now, cyber warfare can take a number of different forms. It can be you sitting in front of your computer, or it could be uh, as one of the, what was the name of it? Uh, Stutznecks, wasn't it? I think from my memory. Uh, of where uh, the Israeli Secret Service actually got someone to put a, a USB stick um, in uh, to a computer um, um, inside um, Iran's nuclear facility itself. Either way, um, such attacks, either from the air, which is obvious, but such uh, um, hacking attacks uh, can send these uh, centrifuges or your facilities basically mad uh, to the point of where it explodes. So we do have this Iranian denial on the one side, um, unofficial Israeli boasting on the other. What's the explanation uh, for Iranian silence? Well, I think it's quite obvious that if they admitted uh, that Iran was suffering uh, a whole series of attacks on its uh, strategic sites by Israel, uh, uh, the, um, the population, especially the nationalist uh, population, would be demanding revenge, some sort of counter-strike. And at the present time, Iran is extraordinarily reluctant to do that. So we know uh, that in terms of Syria, um, Israeli um, uh, aircraft have attacked um, revolutionary guard bases there, and also have attacked um, Hezbollah uh, facilities there. The Hezbollah obviously linked uh, to Iran. Um, and they've not retaliated. Um, so Israel, um, other than presumably um, um, having to take the risk of uh, anti-aircraft fire, uh, is free uh, to attack um, a foreign territory uh, with armed forces uh, there, based there, uh, that have been welcomed by uh, the Assad government, um, to all intents and purposes, the government um, 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 in Syria. So, uh, why isn't um, Iran wanting to retaliate? Well, I think the answer is obvious. I've already given one answer, but it's also because Iran is suffering strangulation um, economically uh, because of the United States. 
Um, anybody who thinks that US hegemony is over, is a thing of the past, ought to think again. Um, here is Iran. Uh, it can still sell its oil to China. It can divert its oil um, north um, uh, via pipelines into Russia. Uh, and yet on, on the global market, um, huge numbers of companies that e aren't even American don't touch Iran. Uh, why? Because the United States controls the global finance system. Uh, and we know that. We, we've, we've got a, um, um, a charity um, associated with uh, comrades uh, around us um, called Worker Fund uh, uh, Iran. Uh, which is designed to support strikers and other people who have been persecuted by the regime. We cannot transfer any funds uh, to it because the banks uh, won't allow us uh, to. And now that's true uh, with all manner uh, of capitalist concerns. So at the present time, uh, Iran um, is in severe economic difficulties to the point of where it cannot continue subsidizing, certainly not at the previous level, uh, its ally in uh, the Lebanon. And at the moment, uh, what's going on in Lebanon is just horrendous. It seems to be um, undergoing economic, but also political uh, uh, collapse. Okay. Um, just moving on. Uh, going up north slightly from um, Israel and Iran over the border into Turkey and to Istanbul and Hag Sophia, uh, the Church of uh, Divine uh, Wisdom. Uh, Erdogan is uh, decreed uh, that it change its function um, back from uh, being a museum uh, to being a mosque. I think it is just worthwhile if, um, um, you know, comrades don't know anything about the history of this building. Um, just to recount it, that uh, at the time it was built in the 6th century, um, uh, under Justinian, I think, the first, it was the biggest uh, building, um, you know, in terms of a dome uh, that existed in the world. And I think it stayed uh, the biggest for something like 600, 700 uh, uh, years. Um, you know, the architect who designed it was clearly a, a genius, but he also had um, available vast funds uh, from the Byzantine uh, Empire uh, and also 10,000 workers uh, laboring um, on this, uh, what was a church, a, a, a Greek Orthodox uh, church. Um, as you all know, uh, the Roman Empire was split in two uh, between a Latin-speaking West um, and um, a Greek-speaking East, and it was the Eastern Empire that survived. Rome went down, I can't remember the exact date, but in the 5th century or thereabouts. Uh, the Byzantine Empire lasted famously until 1453, when it was overrun by the Ottomans, and um, the Ottomans allowed their troops to go uh, raping and pillaging and looting uh, for three days, that included looting uh, this church, and uh, after um, they secured themselves in Byzantine, um, which, yes, Constantinople as we know it, 
um, uh, they converted uh, this uh, church uh, to a mosque. It had previously, uh, during the uh, after the Fourth Crusade, been a Roman Catholic church, but that was for about sixty years. So we had a history of what, do it roughly, you know, nine hundred years of being uh, a Greek Orthodox uh, church. Nineteen thirty-one, uh, Kemal Atatürk closes it uh, and announces it will be become a museum. And I think it opened as a museum either in nineteen thirty-four or nineteen thirty-five. I have to say that I've been there, um, and it is a, a staggering, um, you know, uh, monument uh, to human ingenuity. Um, uh, and in terms of the original building and the partially restored building, uh, it is very uh, a Greek Orthodox in terms of icons and uh, uh, fresco uh, work and, uh, uh, you know, um, opulent um, uh, decoration. Uh, so uh, Erdogan is changing it back. Now, is this the result of a religious revival uh, in Turkey? Well, in part, but it isn't because... Um, a shortage of uh, mosques. Um, last time I visited Turkey, which was quite a long time ago, but having visited it uh, an, on a number of occasions, what struck me uh, is the huge number of mosques uh, that were being built. And this is before Erdogan's uh, uh, presidency, before he became prime minister. Um, and what was going on is the Saudi Arabians were sponsoring uh, mosque uh, uh, building. Um, we have um, um, Erdogan uh, coming to power, um, basically a, a, a Muslim fundamentalist uh, party. And what he uh, is aiming to dismantle is Turkey's secularism. Um, again, I'm not quite sure uh, of the dates, uh, but Atatürk comes to power um, after the independence of war, I'm just making this one up now, I'd guess 1920. Either way, um, his model is of a bureaucratic state um, modernising Turkey. The reason why Turkey did so badly in World War I uh, is because of the Ottomans, because of feudalism, and Atatürk wants to introduce modernisation from above. Um, he bans uh, Arabic script. Uh, he forces uh, women to de-veil. Um, he, he plows through a modernization program. Don't get any illusions, by the way, that this was all progressive, because one of his first acts was to take the Central Committee of the newly formed Communist Party of Turkey uh, out into the um, Black Sea uh, and drown them. And um, amongst Ataturk's early laws uh, was a copy of Mussolini's uh, anti-communist laws. So in Turkey, um, um, historically, you weren't allowed to preach class war. Um, that was um, um, a criminal uh, offence. So the, um, the Communist Party um, in Turkey, uh, I think, has always uh, been illegal, uh, although sometimes it's operated semi-legally. So I presume that Erdogan uh, feels himself under political pressure. The, the mayor of uh, Istanbul is a member of the People's Republican Party, 
Um, this is, um, in terms of its origins, the party of Ataturk. I uh, don't think it's the direct, direct, direct um, uh, continuity uh, of Ataturk, but nonetheless, it, it's still Ataturk's party. It's a secularist party, and he clearly feels under political pressure, uh, not least because his uh, foreign adventures um, in the Mediterranean, um, in Syria, but also in uh, Libya, have gone so badly. Uh, just a footnote to all of that stuff. Um, in Israel, uh, there are those uh, that want to build the third temple. Um, most of you will know, I presume you come from a Judeo-Christian uh, background in general. I know there are some exceptions here. Uh, but in the Judeo-Christian tradition, um, what you have is uh, two temples. That's the Temple of Solomon, which is completely mythological in terms of its size along with his greater uh, empire perhaps there was a chapel of something like that there but the second temple uh, the temple of Herald, was an enormous uh, construction and that was the one that was wrecked by the romans that's the one with the wailing wall uh, and the myth has it uh, that if the third temple arises uh, for christians this will be the prelude to uh, the second coming of Jesus. I'm not quite sure what significance it has for Jews, uh, but again, it does have an enormous religious significance. But of course, to do that, if you know the site, what you have to do is flatten uh, the Muslim mosque there, uh, the Dome of the Rock, which is the third most important Muslim site um, in the world. So you have Mecca, Medina, and then the Dome of the, of the Mosque. Um, uh, our guess is that uh, the early worshippers behaved in the way that they still do uh, in Mecca uh, and that is walked around it um, as well as praying inside it either way uh, that is a serious proposition uh, amongst um, not insignificant sections um, of um, Israeli uh, politicians Okay, meanwhile, in the United States, having talked about uh, mosque wars uh, and temple uh, wars, in the United States, we not only have statue uh, wars, which uh, can take on some sort of bizarre features. I can understand why, uh, can, you know, pro-Confederate forces uh, want to attack, uh, you know, statues of Abraham Lincoln or uh, northern generals. Um, I can understand uh, why people who are progressives uh, want to attack uh, um, uh, statues of Lee or whoever. Uh, I can't quite understand why people who are for Black Lives Matter uh, would want to attack, uh, um, I can't remember his name, but the head of the um, Swedish uh, regiment of Wisconsin who fought for the North and died in battle. Um, um, in the fight to crush uh, the South and, um, um, yeah, free uh, the slaves. Either way, what's interesting um, is in the United States, you have a big controversy um, in the army and around the army um, um, about the names of uh, bases and other such military facilities. There are those that know an awful lot more about it 
than I do here, and I'd be interested to hear their contribution. Uh, either way, I just noted down last night some names. I, I don't know the details of these people, so forgive me. Uh, but you've got um, Fort John Brown Gordon. I think, I think he was a, the Georgian head of the KKK. Um, you've got Fort Hood. You've got Fort Bragg. You've got uh, other names, Alexander, Marshall, uh, Tuban, Weller, Baker. Um, these are all names of uh, people who participated in a rebellion uh, against the U.S. government in defense of the slave system. Um, often in the South, it was portrayed as standing up for state rights. Uh, the reality was it was the, the right of the, the state uh, to maintain the system of slavery. So the United States was born uh, with two basic systems. It was born with a system of wage labor concentrated in the north that was associated with um, um, industry, shipping uh, and the like, uh, but also uh, with a class of free farmers, go west, young man, go west. But in the south, uh, the economic system was tied in uh, crucially with Britain, the slave trade and uh, tobacco, sugar, uh, cotton, um, which made its way uh, across the other side uh, of the Atlantic. Now, again, I don't know enough about my American history, so I have to uh, own up to um, ignorance. From what I read, you know, I w would have assumed, so I would have assumed that these names start to be developed uh, after the end of Reconstruction. That's the sort of um, aftermath of the defeat of the South, where you had uh, black rights in the South and uh, uh, the assertion of um, um, yeah, black political rights in the South, but also a wave of labor militancy uh, in the North. Suffice to say, uh, the, the old slaveocracy, the former slaveocracy, uh, and uh, uh, northern politicians came to a deal, uh, and it was black people, especially in the South, uh, that were crushed. Uh, famously, they call it Jim Crow uh, uh, laws. So um, slavery was over, uh, but uh, naked discrimination wasn't. Uh, you could have a situation of where uh, black people had the right to vote, uh, but if you dared to exercise it, it was equivalent of, uh, uh, you know, suicide. They would uh, lynch you. Uh, but um, a, a better explanation, I think, and this is what I've uh, read, um, and it makes an awful lot of sense, is this didn't come in uh, in the 19th century. Um, if you look at the United States, historically, um, it did not have a strong state. Uh, the army... Uh, was very weak. It was mainly um, kept uh, up to fight the Indians, uh, to crush them as settlers went to the West. Of course, in the Civil War, the Second Revolution, uh, the armies were enormous, uh, but that declined. And to all intents and purposes, uh, the United States did not maintain, um, you know, uh, a significant standing army. That begins to change. Um, in the 20th century, crucially, when the United States um, enters World War I. Uh, and what we have is Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson, uh, 
And again, I don't know the politics here, uh, but the military expands significantly, and clearly the United States. I know it went back into isolation uh, for a time, but basically the United States is waiting uh, to assert itself uh, as the global um, hegemon. Um, you can read Marx on this. He predicted uh, that after Britain declines, which was inevitable, he said, it will be the United States that will be the next global uh, hegemon. And anyone who is intelligent um, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, recognised that fact. So it seems to be um, Woodrow Wilson uh, that was guilty of this, um, you know, naming um, um, US um, bases, uh, army bases, navy bases, marine bases, uh, after Confederate rebels, um, after people who broke uh, US law, law who committed treason, which is a remarkable uh, thing. Um, so in terms of the controversy, of course it comes in part uh, from Black Lives Matter and uh, other such uh, organizations. But we shouldn't play down the role either of the US military uh, itself. So it's worth noting uh, that um, uh, the Confederate flag and Confederate names have been banned uh, in the U.S. Marines. Now, that is a significant uh, military force. It's not just some sideshow. This is a big arm of the military. And there are moves to ban the Confederate flag and to change the name of these bases um, uh, by the Army, by the Navy, and by the Air Force. Uh, and then you say, Why? And the answer I would give to that, um, if I had to give one answer to it, uh, I would say the Vietnam uh, War, of where when it came to the GIs, uh, what you had is a, a, a very considerable uh, disproportion, disproportionate number of them were black. You know, famously, people like George Bush Jr. Uh, went off and served in the Home Guard, in the Air Force Home Guard. Uh, loads of people who were rich, loads of people who were, were well connected, um, didn't want to serve in Vietnam and who can blame them. Um, so it was uh, black people, uh, very significant force uh, in the army. And um, it wasn't that long uh, before, to all intents and purposes, they became disaffected and uh, went into rebel. Uh, mode themselves, so killing of officers, uh, disobey, disobeying orders, basically a refusal to fight and to cooperate um, in this war. So the United States goes from um, conscription uh, to a professional army in 73, uh, which is towards the very end of the Vietnam War. This is as America's pulling out, I think, the final shots in, in the Vietnam War was 75, but that didn't really involve U.S. forces. I can always remember that tank breaking in uh, to the U.S. Embassy in Saigon, as it was called in those days. But also, then what happens in the U.S. Army is they go for positive discrimination, and uh, they are a force uh, which wants to actually um, uh, keep their uh, black soldiers, black airmen, uh, black marines happy. And so if you read, I haven't, but I've read about it, uh, the biography of Colin Powell, uh, he describes how as a black man, um, he can be on base 
and uh, you know formal equality uh, mixing uh, between the races occurs but as soon as he uh, leaves the base this is talking about the south uh, then you have segregation imposed upon him restaurants bars refusing uh, to serve him and so why uh, now in particular well i would say uh, because of black lives matter because of trump and because of trump's threat uh, to actually bring the regular army uh, onto the streets of uh, America's cities. And what happened was that, that the former uh, Secretary of Defense and the serving Secretary of Defense and serving generals were basically saying, that is a bad idea. And I think that what they feared, and I think rightly, uh, is that uh, black soldiers in particular uh, would refuse to obey uh, the orders of their officers. Um, I went away and done a, did a little bit of Google research. Um, if we look at the U.S. police, um, these aren't very good statistics, so I have to apologize. But in terms of the areas that um, um, uh, police police, uh, the figures give you that uh, whites are 30% higher um, than their population numbers overall uh, would uh, justify um, that doesn't tell me much about the, the actual breakdown uh, of uh, the U.S. police, but it does tell you something. Um, when it comes to um, uh, the army, uh, it's still the case uh, that uh, black uh, people are, in inverted commas, overrepresented in every uh, wing of the U.S. armed forces uh, bar the Marines. Um, so in the Army, in the Navy, and um, in the Air Force, you've got a disproportionate number of black people. That is staggeringly so, by the way, uh, with black women. Massively uh, disproportionate uh, numbers. Either way, uh, the U.S. Army, uh, in terms of uh, being a bureaucracy, um, has an interest in um, not using... Uh, black soldiers uh, to shoot down uh, black civilians uh, who are protesting about police uh, brutality. And the worst thing, their worst fear um, uh, is rebellion of the sort that they faced abroad um, um, in Vietnam. Just to finish, of course, um, our standing slogan, along with um, orthodox Marxism, orthodox democracy, uh, going back uh, to, um, you know, um, almost medieval times or late medieval times um, is to abolish uh, the police uh, and abolish uh, standing armies uh, and instead replace um, uh, the army and the police force with the armed people, a popular uh, militia, in other words, that isn't separate, isn't isolated uh, from the population, but is part of uh, the population. Uh, that's all. Thank you, Stan.